Good job. Testify, that's awesome. So excited we get to have you this weekend and appreciated the time with you the other day. Um, and for everybody here that's, uh, that's visiting, I want to welcome you. You know, I worked with international students for 27 years in Emporia State, I mean, with that the ministry. So I'm always excited when we have people from other cultures. We've actually got visitors this morning from Italy, from the Netherlands, from Switzerland. I may be missing somebody else. I don't know, but that is so awesome. So if you're here visiting, we want to welcome you. Um, we want to welcome anybody. He is risen. Let's do that again. He is risen. Yeah, that's why awesome. He is risen. Yeah, we are here because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we're here. That's why we worship. That's why we gather. Um, so I want to start with this question. We've been talking this semester a lot about the name of God. So what's in a name? What's in a name? When I, we first moved to Emporia, we ended up living next to Galen and Beth Miller, who attended this church. Shiloh, what's now Shiloh House was their home. Didn't have a, our own mower, so we would, to, he would let us borrow his. So I walked down the alley um, to get his mower. Yeah, thank you, Jack. <laughs> Walk down the alley to get his mower, and I get out and mow. And right across the, from the alley from Galen, there was this little dog that lived in the backyard. You know, little dogs can be really mean, right? Well, every time I would walk down that alley, this dog was the most vicious thing I'd ever seen. And I mean, this isn't exactly his picture, but like, this is what he looked like, okay? That, that dog, like, he had an anger problem. I don't know. He would like tear at the fence, and I knew if he ever got out, like, he would eat me alive. So one day I was walking down the alley and the dog was going crazy and Galen happened to be in his backyard and Galen said, oh, I see you've met the neighbor dog. And I said, yeah. He said, his name is Precious. <laughs> what a name, Precious, like the most misnamed thing in human history. So what's in a name? In Philippians 2.9, Paul tells us that Jesus' name is the name above all names, the name above all names. And I think we can get a sense of what that means, but there's some cultural things, I think, to keep us from really delving into it. Um, you know, what does it mean to be the name above all names? Last year in 2022, Olivia and Liam were the most given names in America. Does it mean that my name was the most given name in a particular year? Any Liams in here? Olivia's? I'm looking around. Um, if you happen to be um, <clears throat> Noah or Emma, yours was the second most common name last year. We've had several Noahs here at least one Emma, or maybe the name above all name is Joe, right? I mean, the President of the United States is Joe Biden. Maybe his name is the name above all names. So what does that mean when Paul says Jesus is the name above all names? Um, so again, we've been talking about the names of God this semester in the Old Testament, and it really ties into what I'm going to do today. Um, again, today in our culture, names don't have much significance. A name, I think the main purpose of a name is it's what gets slapped in your Starbucks, car, Starbucks cup so you can go pick in the right drink, right? It's just a label we tend to use, or frequently if you're like me, your name constantly gets misspelled from Garen to Garden to Garvin to Garrett to Darren to whatever. Um, this happens to me all the time um, when you have an unusual name. I mean, names to us, we'll like give our children names that like, oh, I know that person, or that sounds cool, or there's kind of a cool connector. Sometimes people will give their children a name because it has a meaning. So names for us are not as deep as in the culture of the Bible in Jesus' time. Because in biblical times, names meant everything. A name reflected the essence of who a person was. It was like their core nature was communicated in their name. Um, just the, their character is what was represented in that name. So, what is the name of God? 
So God first introduced his name in the book of Exodus. Um, probably most of us have heard the story of Moses, even though I didn't grow up in church. I knew the story of Moses. I knew the Jewish people had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And that God showed up to Moses in a burning bush one day in the desert, and the bush wasn't consumed. So Moses walked over to it, and out of the burning bush came a voice and said, Moses called him. And then he realized that it was God, and he, you know, he fell down, and God said, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. And he said, I have heard the cry of my people in their bondage, and I've come to rescue them, and I'm going to deliver them from Egypt, take them to a, a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're the man that's going to deliver them. And then Moses said this to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of our, your, fathers, our, your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I want you to read this with me, these five words. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. Can you do the first two? I am sent me to you. That shortened version, that is the name of God. He calls himself, I am who I am. Specifically in a shortened version, like his nickname is I am. Um, in English, I am. In Hebrew, this is what it looks like. It is pronounced Yahweh. If you've heard the word Jehovah, it comes from this, but Yahweh is the right pronunciation. Um, and when God revealed this name, he was revealing, again, the essence of who he was. He was letting people know things about him. And it's a really rich name. We've been delving into that the last, few sem the last semester. We've been looking into the, uh, the meaning of this name. Um, let me just tell you a few things that are implied in this name. You'd have to go back if you're curious. February 5th, I talked about this in detail of what all is inside of this I am name because it's really profound. Um, a few of the things that are implied is one, that he is personal. I am. He's not a, some force out there, electricity or something that just binds the universe together. He is a personal God. Um, he is master and creator. He is self-existent. This name speaks to the fact that he is timeless and eternal. We speak of there's a past, present, and future. You know, I was, I am, I will. And God says, I am eternally, I am. The pre he is always in the present. We're going to come to that one in just a minute. It implies that he is unchanging and faithful. And if you remember, his name is an open-ended sentence. Here's what's really cool about his name. Is it implies that God is the only one, ultimately, who is all comprehensive. That only God can be the one, the thing that I ultimately need, genuinely need for the things in my life. And so God, throughout the Old Testament, reveals himself with I am, and then he'll throw another word onto it, and that's like one of his names revealing who, is his, who he is. So this semester, we've learned things like Yahweh Rohi, I am your shepherd. Um, Yahweh Tzidkanu, I am your righteousness. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at um, Yahweh Yaira, I'm your provider. Or Yahweh Shama, I, or Yahweh Shalom, I am your peace. Or Yahweh, my favorite, Yahweh Kana. I am passionate for you. I'm passionate about you. So those are just some of his names in the Old Testament. One more thing I want to tell you about the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And this God whose name is I Am, um, the great I Am, is anytime the Jewish people are reading through their Old Testament scripture in Hebrew, and they come to the name Yahweh, it's see it printed, they will not pronounce his name out of respect for him. Instead, they will replace it with one of two words. When they come to his name and they're reading out loud, they will say either Adonai, which means Lord, master, ruler, or they will use the word in Hebrew, Hashem, which means the name. Would you say Hashem with me? Hashem. The name above all names. It is the name. 
the key name in the whole universe. It's the name of God. It is the I am. It's Hashem. Even to this day, if you went to a synagogue and heard Jewish people reading their scripture, they would either say Adonai or Hashem when they came upon this word, Yahweh, the name. Now, with all that in our back pocket, I want to show you a really powerful text from the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. And the book of Acts comes after you have the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote biographies of Jesus, eyewitness accounts. Jesus dies, is buried, rises again, ascends to heaven. And then you have the early church, the first Christians, spreading the good news to all nations, just like you guys are doing and we're trying to do. And in that book of Acts, the history of the early church, I want to show you a really profound thing to happen. It's in chapter 5, verse 41. And here's what we find. It says, they... And it's speaking of the Sanhedrin. That was the Jewish ruling council. We're going to encounter them in a minute with Jesus. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for, what's that say? For the name, for Hashem. They had come to the conclusion that Jesus was God, the creator who had become in human flesh, and that Jesus was the I am of the Old Testament, that he was Hashem. Now, why would they be claiming that Jesus is Yahweh, the I am? Why would they be claiming that? And I want to tell you why. Because Jesus made that claim himself. He made that claim himself. In the recent book, Putting Jesus in His Place, um, Robert Bowman and some dude, probably like Czechoslovakian descent or something, whose name I can't pronounce. I'm not going to try, okay? I would dishonor him. They present all the ways that Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh. Um, they provide an acronym in the book that I find helpful to show us the five distinct ways that Jesus claimed to be the creator. And it's the acronym HANDS. And they present the case that Jesus clearly claimed the honors that were due to God he claimed the attributes of God, he claimed the names of God, he claimed the deeds of God, and he claimed the seed of God. And that third one is the one I want to focus on, how that he claimed the names and titles of God for himself, particularly the name I am. And I want to show that to you this morning. Um, this, play, this is seen primarily in the Gospel of John, in his eyewitness testimony to Jesus' life. Um, and in the Gospel of John, seven times, and in their culture, seven means perfect, okay? Jesus perfectly seven times claimed a compound name of Yahweh, I am something. Seven times that he did this. He called himself, and I'm not going to get these in right order. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection in the life. I'm the light of the world. I am the resurrection in the life. I am the, I am the gate for the sheep. Probably the most famous one is John 10, 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd, and we've already done that one, Yahweh, Rohi, he took the name of God from Psalm 23, and he applies it directly to himself. Seven times, he creates a compound name with I am, just like God did in the Old Testament, but what I find cool is seven times, he very directly just said, I am. He claimed that for himself, and so I want to look at some of those. We're not going to do all of them, um, for the sake of time. The first one occurs in John chapter 4, verse 26. In the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman, um, a woman who was ostracized by her society, you know, Jewish people hated them. The first person that Jesus says to them, I am Yahweh, is a woman living on the margins of her society. I just absolutely love that. 
How many times in the Old Testament have we seen when God shows up to somebody with a name, a new name, or showing them a name, it's to a woman who's ostracized and living on the margins of her society. I think it's so cool. The second time is in John chapter 6, where we find the story of Jesus walking on the water. That's the second time he uses the name of God for himself. To me, one of the most fascinating occurs in the book of John, um, and it's in verse 58. Let me read to you what happens. And this is, he's having a dispute with the religious leaders over his identity, over who he is. So Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they, those religious leaders exclaimed, now, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And then Jesus, and then they say, um, Jesus says this, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw my day. He saw it. With his own eyes, he saw my day, and he was glad. And I'm going to show you why this is such a crazy statement, okay? Um, and they say, you're not 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says this very truly, and that means for, in their culture, listen up. This is really important, really important. Before Abraham was born, before he was born, I am that's a claim not only to being Yahweh, but to the eternality and the timelessness of Jesus. Of Jesus. Let me show you this on a diagram, because Abraham lived about 17, 1700 BC. He was the founding father of the Jewish people, so revered in their culture. And here's Jesus 2,000 years later, and he's talking about Abraham, and he says, he was happy to see my day, and they're like, you are nuts, because that was 2,000 years ago. How did he see your day? And he said, he not only saw my day, but before he even was born, I am. That's powerful. In verse 59, it says at the end, I didn't get to this, but they picked up stones at this to stone him and kill him because he was claiming to be the creator. And that was against the law of blasphemy, which required death. We're going to see that again in a minute powerful claim that he was making. And they knew exactly what he was saying. The next few stories where he claims to be Yahweh, I am, happen in the last week of his life. I think it's cool that as his life's coming to the end, they kind of quicken and become more. So in John 13, we see the story of Jesus' last supper with his disciples when he's betrayed. So in verse 18, it says this, I am not referring to all of you, referring betrayer, okay? Not referring to all of you, I know this, those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me, and I'm telling you now before it happens. He's going to betray me in a little bit. I'm telling you now so that when it does happen, you will believe, this is so profound, you will believe that what? Would you read this with me? That I am who I am. Wow. Who said that? God in the Old Testament when he gave his name to Moses. Jack, we're going to, don't go to the next one. We're going to kind of skip over it in a second. Right after Jesus says that, his followers a little bit start arguing like, who is it? Who among us is the betrayer? And then John, Peter, I think it's John, like, John, would you ask him like, who is it? Their question is, who is the betrayer? And what I find fascinating about this story is Jesus just said, I am who I am. And the question they should have been asking is, what in the world? Who did you say you were? But all they care about is, well, who's the betrayer among us? 
Um, we'll come back to that in a second. I just think it's funny, but that would have been me too. Soon after that story, Jesus is arrested. And he's in front of that Sanhedrin, that group of 70 that we saw in Acts. Here's what happens. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and he entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. And now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. He said, who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. And Jesus said, I am. I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And as Jesus said, I am, they all drew back and they fell to the ground. They drew back and they fell to the ground. This is normal in the Old Testament. When somebody encounters God in a dream or vision, trust me, they're falling back. They're falling on their face. This is normal with an encounter with the living God. And here's what's really interesting is that this time in history, there was a rabbinic story that was going around. It's not in the book of Exodus, but there was a rabbinic story that the first time Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God says, set these people free, that Pharaoh said to him, what is the name of your God? And Moses said to him, I am. And the rabbinic legend was as soon as he said that, Pharaoh took steps back and he fell to the ground because of the power of the name. And here's Jesus in front of all these people, including Romans. They knew exactly what he was claiming when he said, I am. And that's why their response. One more. It's in the book of Mark. Mark's eyewitness account of Jesus. And it's him in front of the Jewish council, those 70. And here's what we're told. The high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said what? I am. There were a lot of people at that time before him who claimed to be the Messiah. They never killed any of those people. Okay? I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He said, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and they said, prophesy. And the guards took him and they beat him. Because blasphemy was the crime of assuming for yourself the rights and the qualities of God. And that's what God just did when they asked that question. He said, I am. That's why they tore their clothes. That's why they had trying to kill him before when he said, before Abraham was born, I am, because he was claiming to be God. So here's what I want you to know. I want you to leave here this morning being crystal clear on this, that in all of this, that Jesus is claiming to be the great I am, God who came in human flesh to live the life I should have lived to die the death that I should have died because of my sin. He did that to pay for my sin, to forgive me, to bring me back into relationship with himself and with the Father. And it was because of these claims, and this claim in particular which Jesus made, that's why his early followers called him Hashem, the name, Yahweh, in human flesh. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that profound? And that is why Jesus is called the name Above all names, the name above all names. 
I'd like the worship team to come out. We are going to have some powerful worship today. We've been singing this song, The Great I Am. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to sing this song. Um, and we've been singing it about God and his revelation of himself. This morning, I want us to sing it to Jesus because Jesus is the great I am. And so when we're singing this, we're lifting up his name because he is the name above all names, all right? So let's sing this song to our Lord who was crucified and who rose from the dead on this day. So would you stand with us? The first line of this song says, I want to be close. We just want you to pray that to Jesus as we sing it to him. Jesus, we want to be close to you. We want to be near to you. We want to be near to your side. I want to be close, close to your side. So heaven is real, death is a lie. I want to hear voices angels above singing as one hallelujah holy holy god almighty the great i am who is worthy none beside thee god almighty the great The great I am. 
shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of the name king of majesty there is no power in hell nor any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great i am the great i am the great Have a seat. We're going to do a little bit, finish this thing off. Um, but isn't it great to worship Jesus as the great I am? Uh, I am so passionate about this because he changed my life. You know, a lot of you know, I grew up with no religion, not going to church. We were the only family in my town that I knew. And I encountered Jesus, the great I am. And especially because of what I want to finish with. Jesus had been making this claim of divinity all through his ministry, all through his ministry. But even his followers didn't always get it. So just like at the, at, the, at, the, at the betrayal when he said, when you see somebody betray me, then you will believe that I am who I am. And then immediately they start arguing about who is the guy that's going to betray us because they missed it. It went right over their head. Kind of like Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Just went right over his head. Do you know what finally convinced his own followers and other people who saw him and knew him? And what finally convinced many of his adversaries that his claim to be Yahweh, I am, was true. Do you know what finally convinced them? It's what we celebrate today. It was the resurrection of, the G- of Jesus. That's what convinced them. And I want to show you. John 20 is the story of doubting Thomas. And it goes like this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We saw him. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand aside, I will not believe. I totally get Thomas. This was me, okay? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he looked and said to Thomas, I love this. Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out. Put your hand, literally put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And 
Thomas said to him, my Lord. My God. You are Adonai. You're the Lord. You're the great I am. And today I finally see it. I finally get it. And I believe it. And I believe it. It was Jesus' physical resurrection from the dead that convinced Thomas, convinced the other followers. It convinced many in Jerusalem at that time in history. Even many of the religious leaders who were against him his whole life convinced them that he was who he claimed to be. In the end, it was his resurrection from the dead that convinced me that what he said was true. Um, I just love this about Jesus. He did not leave us without proof of his claims. He put his money where his mouth was. He not only claimed to be Yahweh, the eight great I am, he proved it by raising from the dead on the third day because, trust me, only God can do that. Only God can do that. And also what I love is he left evidence of that reality, the fingerprints of God. If you are curious enough, if you're curious enough to look, the fingerprints of God and the fingerprints of resurrection are left in history. And if you will look into it, I want you to know that there is strong and credible historical evidence that Jesus truly rose from the dead. I don't just believe it because it's a cool story. I became convinced of the evidence. And if you're here and you're like, I have never heard that. I've never heard such evidence. I've got a booklet for you on the way out. It'll be on the tables in the back. It's called Why Easter. And it will talk about him, his claims. It will talk, some of, it will talk about the resurrection, um, what it means to follow him. And so I encourage you to grab one of those on the way out. If you read this and you're like, I'm even hungry for more. I've got a little booklet. If you live in Emporia, come grab me. And I would glad to get it to you that talks about the, even more detail, the historical evidence for Jesus. So on the way out, grab one of those. If you're like I was a long time ago and you didn't want people to know you had interest in religion, you just, as you walk by with your friends, after you pass the table, you just grab it, stick it in your back pocket, okay, and nobody knows. And then when you get home, you can look at it. Here's what I want you to know. What's at stake in all of this? Because Jesus, by the very nature of his claims, he forces you to make a conclusion and a decision about him. C.S. Lewis put it well in his book, Mere Christianity. An atheist, very famous atheist, who came to faith in Jesus because of the historical evidence of the resurrection, by the way. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. He would be a liar, a great liar at that. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. I want you to know, because of his claims, you've only got three options with Jesus, okay? He was either a crazy, evil liar. He was an absolute lunatic. People who claim to be God get put in mental institutions, right? A lunatic. Or he was what he said. He is the Lord. And here's, I think, what Lewis was saying in that quote. I love that quote. And I think something that Jesus would agree with. You can't be neutral about Jesus. He's not left that option. You cannot be neutral with him. 
either he is who he claimed to be or he's not. If he's not who he claimed to be, if the resurrection is just a, a fairy tale story, no historical evidence, then don't worry about it. Ignore him. But if he is who he claimed to be, I want you to know everything is at stake. Everything, including your eternity, is at stake. And let me show you why I say that. It's a story I've kind of kept my cards back. It's the last time Jesus used the name of God. And it's in John chapter 8. It's another disagreement that Jesus is having with the religious leaders about his identity. And here's what it says. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away. I'm going away. You'll look for me. You will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. You will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you've crucified him, then you will know that I am That, by the way, is why one of the Roman centurions, the head of the group that crucified Jesus, that after he gave up his spirit, that centurion said, this is the Son of God. I am. So let me summarize just visually what Jesus is saying here. That if you die in your sins, if you die and you're still carrying your own sins, they've never been paid for, so to speak. You've never received the ultimate forgiveness of God through Jesus. If you die in that state, bearing your own sins, Jesus says, you cannot come where I'm going. And where do you suppose he was going? Yeah, his heavenly home. And then this that he says is so important. If you do not believe that Jesus, his claim to be the I am, then you will indeed die in your sins. It all hinges on what are you going to do with him. It all hinges on that. Your eternity hinges on what are you going to do with Jesus. You either ignore him or you're like, this is too important. I'm going to investigate this and see if it's true. If you're here this morning and this, you're like, I haven't ever given my life. I don't know what it means to have his forgiveness of my sins. I don't know what it means to invite him, receive into my life as Lord. I've got a little prayer I would like to do. And I don't normally do this kind of thing, but I would like us to say it together. Could we do that? Um, we're just going to say it together. But what I know is there might be somebody here who's like, I've been coming to this to 12th. There's a number of people here who've been seeking Jesus, and they're like, I am ready to give my life to him. Maybe this is the day. And if you want to do that, this is what it would look like. So would you join me in praying this? Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I have done many things that don't please you. I've lived life for myself only, and I'm tired of living that way. And now turn back to you. I am sorry, and I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I open the door of my life, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give it to you. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. And if you want to come to the point, you want to come into a relationship with Jesus, it's something like that. There's a prayer similar in the back of this that you could do.
So I want to conclude with, uh, with worshiping the risen Lord. So would you stand with me one more time? And I've really worked it out that we could do both songs. Is that amazing? <laughs> so, yeah, first service didn't get quite get at all. Um, I misread the thing back here. Now, I thought, I thought we had two, and I only saw. Anyways, we're going to close with two. So, join us in worshiping the risen Jesus. Let's sing together. The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, his blood poured out for us. The weight of every curse upon him. Jesus, thank you that you did this for us. You wanted us to be with you. You wanted us to be made right with the Father. We love you. We worship you. You're so worthy. One final breath he gave as heaven looked away. The Son of God was laid in darkness. A battle in the grave. The war on death was waged. The power of hell Hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah.
you, Jesus. You're the risen king. Because of you, there is hope. Because of you, there is always hope for what we see around us and in us. There's always a hope. We worship you. Thank you for being our hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. Is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of cross has spoken I am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior I'm yours forever Jesus Christ my living Jesus, you're 
All right, amen, right? That's my living hope, that the creator of the universe didn't just stand out there and look at our world of suffering and say, I'm not doing anything about it. He entered into our world of suffering in the person of Jesus, who claimed to be the great I am, to be crushed and to suffer, to go through all the things I did, to die on the cross for my sin, to bring me back to him. And he rose again on the third day to prove who he said, to show that there is life after death, and to show that one day I will be raised new to life and live on no creation just as all who follow him. Isn't that great? That's such great news. So we worship Jesus, the great I am. Can I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for this day that we celebrate the historical reality that you not only died for our sin and were buried, but you rose to life three days later. Thank you for leaving evidence in the the journals of history on that so that we can know that reality. Thank you that you came into my life those many years ago. And, and just filled that empty spot that I had. How you forgave my sin and brought me in the relationship with yourself. Nothing's been the same since. Lord, if there's anybody here who's just like even a little curious, like, is that true? Could it be? I'm not sure that's true. But if that's true, that changes everything. I just pray, Lord, that you would, you would just help them, that curiosity to grow, develop. Maybe they grab a book on the way out. But that, you, that maybe today is the beginning of somebody's journey into relationship with you. Um, maybe today is the end of that journey of somebody being like, I finally come to the point I want to put my faith in him, Lord. But we just leave that all up to you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this chance to celebrate you. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the risen Lord, the great I am, we pray in the name above all names. Amen. And God's people said, all right, 12th, I didn't do it first service and people just stood for a while. You are sent. Because there's a lot of people out there like me who did not know the story, Okay. You work with them. You live with them. You're sent to take the good news of Jesus to the world around you. So, all right, 12. Have a great day.